Welcome back to another edition of The Insanity Podcast. We recording, dude? Yeah, we live. Dang, why you always do that, bro? You know, I be in my moment. You know, I think I'm in the studio. I'm beatboxing. beatboxing. And you want to hit the record button. I, You know what? I should hit the record button even earlier uh, because I feel like our listeners don't really understand uh, how much... Uh, <laughs> You're stereotypically talented. Dude, I just <laughs> hate silence. We're talking past, present, and future about one thing we all disagree on. Politics, Illinois, uh, South Carolina. This is the Insanity Podcast. It's with your hosts, Michael Caston and Molly Kisperman. As Mo and I sit down to record each episode, generally before I hit the record button, um, Mo beatboxes. Beatboxes. Incredibly well. Or I'm freestyling something. I got I got it. I don't know. It gets me in my, my zone. That's my pre-podcast ritual. I'll just say your beatboxing is better than your rapping. <laughs> I'll just, I'll just leave it there. All right, I'm gonna drop some real bars on these things one day. I'm gonna sit down, write it out. It's gonna be impressive. I promise. Prove it. What's been up, man? Man, you know, I I guess we should take a second and thank Marcus Lattimore for coming out and being our co-host. For sure, what a treat he was. Oh my God, did he not just take a hold of the role and really was a co-host? I, it was good. I don't feel like we was interviewing the guy. I feel like he was a part of the conversation, and we hope that that's the way it came off to our listeners. Got a lot of great feedback from it, and hopefully, uh, we can do it and do it again at some time. Maybe with Marcus and hopefully some other people. For sure, I thought Marcus uh, was the first time I had met him, and uh, was an incredibly genuine person. Uh, sat down, and and we just. I mean, that was all one take. We didn't edit it. It was, it was not edited. He literally rolled right into it. It was not rehearsed. And again, he's a natural edit and just showing off his many, many talents. He's obviously more than just a football player. And it's kind of hard to wrap your head around it. The kid is, I shouldn't say kid, the man is 24 years old. Like, what were you doing when you were 24 years old, Micah? Um. So at 24, I had come back from leading my first platoon in combat and was in the middle of a, so February. You completely ruined that whole point. <laughs> just, you was like, ready, God, you're being godly. Yeah, I was getting ready to take to... command of a company uh, and get spun up to deploy the war again. So for our underachievers, uh, <laughs> no, I guess uh, Marcus was so great. Um, as a guest, because he fully embraced what we want the Insanity Podcast to be about, which is having uh, unfiltered conversation about serious issues, often uh, admittedly in an unserious way. We want it to be an enjoyable and entertaining podcast, but a podcast nonetheless that that touches on real issues and real things that are happening in people's lives. And uh, I think Marcus lend a voice to that in, in such a profound way and it only makes me more excited about our next guest <laughs> oh our next guest stay tuned people stay tuned that's right that's what they call in the biz a tease <laughs> <laughs> michael what are we getting into today today is february 24th 24th wednesday 2016 uh, we've just finished over the weekend the South Carolina Republican primary. This weekend on on Saturday will be the South Carolina Democratic primary. Just last night, uh, the results from the Nevada 
Caucus. Came Caucus. In? Yep, that's yeah. correct. And I thought you were going to correct me on the Nevada, Nevada. Uh, thing. Do you have an tomato, tomato. Other than that, though, I, I think the big headline has been the death of Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. Yeah, that has been pretty big. I mean, that that came out of nowhere. And obviously, um, when you lose a Supreme Court justice, um, it's always a sad time for America. No matter where you stand on the fence, um, when someone dedicates over three decades of service to our country, he is to be commended for their, uh, their servitude to trying to make America great in their own way. So, yeah, it was a big loss for the country and, um, you know, RIP. And um, I wish the best for his family. I'm glad you said that, and and it's something I agree with, and I wish that, at least in the media, it was more popular to say that, hey, someone that I don't necessarily agree with has done a tremendous amount to sacrifice himself or herself uh, in service to the country. Again, whether you agree with their philosophical paradigm or not, people feel... uh, indebted to those who serve or or I guess should feel indebted to those who step up and serve and uh, stepping away from the vilification of people with whom uh, we might otherwise disagree with purely on the basis of some partisan label. Yeah, it's just it's just respect. I mean, respect the guy for what he has done and his um, his ability and his desire to step into the forefront of tough conversations. I mean, literally, we're talking about interpreting the Constitution of America, and he's doing that. So he as, did that. As uh, as we transition, though, clearly there's a fight, uh, if not open at this point, will will surely be open in the coming weeks or months as the nomination comes forward. Where do you see? Uh, the Supreme Court nomination in the current political landscape and where it's headed? Well, I, I mean, obviously, it's politics at its best, right? I mean, you got a, call him a lame duck president, and he's going out, got less than a year left to govern um, as as president. And you have one side who says that he should wait and not nominate a potential new justice. And the other side obviously saying, no, it's really his obligation to um, select a new uh, potential justice to fill that position. And now you have this war between two parties and what to do. And the question, the answer to it is, you know, maybe both of them are right. You know, maybe he should wait and give that next president opportunity to bring someone in. But then at the end of the day, you know, you're supposed to do your job. And if that what you want to do from a Senate standpoint, from the Congress to whatever, you're supposed to do your job and then you do it the way you see fit. Would you support President Obama not nominating someone? Absolutely not. <laughs> okay, I didn't think so. I didn't Absolutely think so. not. <laughs> yeah. But that doesn't mean that my opinion is correct. Because again, to me, my frustration with what we have saw, particularly in the last eight years, is that our governmental bodies... Um, have not did their jobs. It's been too many times where the people we elect to make decisions on behalf of Americans have not done their job. And again, this is kind of like the latest instance of of our elected official potentially not doing their jobs. And I think it's just a bad precedent to set, and um, we need to correct that. 
So yeah, I mean, I just don't, I just don't think they're doing their job, and it's just, I'm, I'm tired of seeing it. And if you don't want to go through the nomination process and approval process, hold on, what is the confirmation process? Um, then you know that's. I think that's a cop out. If he if he if he uh, selects someone to come into that position, go through the process. And if he's not or she's not um, a viable person that they see fit in that position, then don't vote for him. But do what you're supposed to do. I mean, I mean, really, do what you're supposed to do, Micah. I mean, do you think that they should um, wait until another president come in, or do you think that he should nominate someone for that position? So when you ask the question, should they wait? Uh, I got to break that in two parts. The okay. first is, should the president wait to nominate someone? And I think the answer to that is no. I think as much as I hear people say, well, we've got an election coming up um, and we should let that be a part of the decision-making process for the next president. Uh, to th- To that, I say, no, we had that decision process in 2012, and, and that that was made. Elections mm-hmm. have consequences. Right. But I don't think that answers the question in its entirety because, um, you know, and, and I don't know how deep to go into this as far as what, you know, Justice Scalia stood for because I hear so much of what he's said and so much of what he wrote um, misinterpreted by the popular press and uh, I think he would say and has said that there should be a democratic aspect to the nomination process. And ultimately, that is most reflected in uh, the Senate. And to that, I mean, let me slow down, slow down for a little bit. About <laughs> Justice Scalia is, is famous for being a textualist, meaning that he uh, is someone who takes the philosophy that interpreting the Constitution should be based uh, explicitly in the words that were used in the Constitution. And not only that, but it should be the words uh, that were used as they were understood by those who adopted it at that time. So it's not a living constitution. It is, what did those rules mean to those people? Basically like interpreting the Bible. It's pretty much straightforward. It's no rule rule for, excuse me, no room for open interpretation. Um, Yeah, I don't know that I would draw it strictly to... The Bible, though, I, I think that opens a whole nother can of worms because the Constitution, by its face, is a document that is a set of rules that should govern everything. And I and I get I understand the Bible um, is as well, but my understanding of the Bible is it's often parables and stories to convey uh, spiritual lessons, and and is less so concerned, at least in the New Testament, uh, with providing explicit laws or so. Well, when it, that, that's I don't want cr- cr- to go too far off on a tangent. Well, there, I, I got you, but I, I'll say that's correct up until the point where you're talking about the laws of the Bible. So, you know, what's sin, what's not sin, that's no gray zone there. That's either not or is, and I guess that's the parallel that I was connecting there. So when I think about... Um, you know what would what would Justice Scalia think about this situation? Justice Scalia is someone who uh, has been on record as saying that the trend in the court over the last 40, 50 years has been far more activist in that uh, the justices uh, who have sat on the court, who've controlled the majority of the court, 
have not seen the Constitution as a document uh, restricted by its words, but a document that is driven by its purpose. Okay. Purpose of this, purpose this, purpose of this, as they said. Someone who sees the purpose. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how to pronounce it. Like, I mean, I even, suck at pronouncing words, so I'm not yeah. laughing at you. <laughs> it's not <laughs> able to pronounce words. Purpose of this. But those justices and those who abide by, the, or who are driven by those philosophies, see the Constitution as a document for which uh, the the purpose is more important than the literal word. Anyway, the point of that is to say that Scalia is someone who would recognize and has recognized that um, the consequence of the new trend, the new tradition, is uh, that it rewrites the meaning of the Constitution. Mm -hmm. Uh, It redefines terms in the Constitution in a way that has never been subjected to a democratic process. And I think Justice Scalia is someone who stood for the idea that uh, the democratic will of the people should be on high. That should be the thing that drives us, uh, drives society more than not. And when we resort to procedural mechanisms or institutional formalities that allow a non-elected minority and specifically a Supreme Court of nine people who are never elected to change the definition of these words, again, without any... Uh, oversight, basically. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a great way to put it. Without any oversight, that that's, that's not necessarily a good thing. It works when those people on the court agree with you and you say, yeah, that's cool because we agree, but when it doesn't go your way... You, you stepped away from the process that matters. And um, to Justice Scalia, the process matters. And so that's a long-winded way of saying that Justice Scalia is someone who would say, look, I understand that, that uh, what I represent, and I'm a, a textualist, fair-reading textualist, um, but that there should be some democratic element to it all. And the way for that to happen in this process is first with the president, the nomination, but mm-hmm. second with the Senate. Right. And if they choose to exercise their constitutional responsibilities in a way which offends the American people, then they should be she held, held accountable, accountable for, for it. And to the extent that senators don't want to go vote on that, um, sure, that's your prerogative as a senator. senator but it's irresponsible. I don't know that it's irresponsible. It's only irresponsible to the point that individual citizens care enough to hold them accountable for that. Well, you know what? That's a good point. It becomes a mini constitutional convention every time we nominate uh, a justice. Well, I say it's irresponsible from the sense that it's your responsibility to do your job. But I see your point in saying that it's only irresponsible if those who vote these people into office hold them accountable to doing those jobs. So, so like, uh, take, for example, you know, you, you started with the premise that, you know, they haven't done enough. They haven't done your job and, and that works if you think that the the Congress or mm-hmm. the Senate needs to get things done. Right. But if you if you start from the viewpoint that government is inherently in the way that individuals and uh, people are best uh, best situated, without best served without a governmental government block, then you you are are better positioned to uh, say. 
well, the government shouldn't be doing things, and the Senate has a place in in its uh, entrenchment in the status quo. But this is like one of the basic jobs of the freaking Senate and the president's office, making sure that we have nine justices to interpret our law. And one-third of the states out there, uh, or one-third of the Senate seats, I should say, um, will be up for grabs here in November. And to the extent that people agree with you, and let's be clear, the Senate is not subject to the gerrymandering trends that you know, you do I, you know, we, we've alluded to before. Uh, the Senate is equal representation. Right. And to the extent that people feel that way, they should have their voices heard. And to anyone who's listening who, who agrees with that, you should absolutely go vote for the people who represent what you want. But if you're one of those people who says, no, I want to wait, you you should be able to do that too. Michael, well, it's real good because obviously you're a lawyer and you go through this process. Um, hey, maybe you're one of our justices in, in the long-term future of the United States. Aye, aye, aye. How cool that would be. Uh. I don't. I would. I don't think I'd want to be a Supreme Court justice. Jeez. It's not about wanting to be. If I call you up and I'm president, and I'm like, "Hey, Micah, I need you to be a Supreme oh, Court man. justice." I think I just know so many smart, smarter people that I would be like, "Hey, you should you call shut up!" Oh my, just anyway. Uh, now, I will say this. I will say this uh, on my own behalf. I, I do think I'm an incredibly fair person. I do. Uh, I, I mean, I, I really do make a point to always. You know, walk into a situation. Even when, I, if I'm inclined to have a, you know, predisposition, I always just clear my mind and you know go into it. Whatever. Anyway, sorry. You well, I, I, this is the question I was going to ask. Why is it so important? It's taken down to layman's term to have non-justice Supreme Court justice in play at all time as quick as possible. Well, I don't know that nine. Is so important. I mean, you can go back to the New Deal era of President Roosevelt and his attempts to what they call pack the court. You know, he tried okay, to yeah. move some legislation that would expand the court to 15. Um, so, so I don't know that nine is any magic number. And here in South Carolina, our state Supreme Court is five. I, I do think it matters that there is um, an odd number so mm-hmm. that you can get a majority. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that matters from a, a practical stand, a long-term practical standpoint, because what happens is if they tie is the lower court ruling is upheld. It has no uh, precedential value. Okay. Say that, like it doesn't, you know, it, it, we're no longer, nobody's bound by that. Right. Um, so it's to the disadvantage of those individual litigants, but um the sooner we get back to a stable number, I think the country's in better, better, in better suited, but on better footing. Oh yeah, I, I completely agree, and I think that's the frustration that I have when I see this process. And it has been, you know, soon as he dies, just well, the president should nominate another potential candidate to be a Supreme Court justice. Like, wait a minute, you know, this is the same thing that you heard when Mitch McConnell, you know, first time in the Senate, and he's on the floor, and he says. I'm going to make sure that this president is a one-term president. It's like, wait a minute. What? Hold on. Let him at least try first. Try to have Sure, that's a, that's a fair point. Because, you know? oh, oh, by the way, in all of this, um, for all of the political posturing, and I guess it's negotiation 101, 
uh, what they call the anchoring principle. Just set your position so far to either side <laughs> that any concession will appear to be major. Uh, you know, the president hasn't nominated anyone yet. He may very well nominate right. someone who, um, you know, isn't a polarizing figure. I mean, and it's a good chance that, you know, a Democrat comes into power and is the next president and you did your job all for not, you know, I mean, didn't do your job all for not. If he nominate, if he nominates someone, do your job and go through the confirmation process. And if you don't agree with the person, then fine. But if you do and if he's upstanding and there's approval by both ends, then let's make sure that we have a justice in place because that's what we do as Americans. Get I've, it done. Just right. get it done. I have two last thoughts on this. The, the first is I, I hate what it's become for the judiciary because probably because of my, my legal training, but, but I hold the Supreme court separate and distinct from the other branches of government. I, I don't want to see it become a body that's politicized. I hate when, when people even talk about it as being, you know, these justices are left or right because it's, it's confusing to, you know, folks who have really spent a lot of time thinking about it. You know, this isn't just simply a, your left-wing Democrat or your right-wing conservative. That That's not exactly the spectrum that, that the justices are operating on. There's uh, a lot of similarities, but it's not. And so the sooner that the courts get out of the political lens and, and get back to legal principles, the better we're at, the better we are as a country for it. And the second thing is that the more quickly this is resolved – uh, the more stability that our country has, uh, a lot of the political process and the electoral process invites uh, confrontation and disunion. And, and the Supreme Court, as the body that interprets the Constitution and really all of our federal laws, but as that institution, uh, the sooner we get back to the secure foundation on which this country operates, the better we'll be. That's all. For sure. For sure. We want all three branches of our government working at full capacity. And we're not there right now. So gotta got to make that happen. On to the next topic. Oh, my mom said you got to start calling me Marcus more often. She said you're slipping up way too much on the podcast. Um, to her, I'm sorry. That's who you need to worry about. Yeah. Not me. Believe me, I'm not scared of you. <laughs> <laughs> how far have we gone? We've made it, uh, I don't know quite how far yet, but you haven't threatened me yet. I have not threatened you yet, but don't push it, big <laughs> don't guy. Push. Don't push it, big guy. Um, Sidebar, I literally was telling somebody about our relationship and I generally threatened to kick your ass at least one time a show, um, it might have been, yeah, with who I was talking about earlier. Yeah. And uh, and uh, I told him, I'm like, he would probably dismantle me. And I think I'm a pretty good fighter. But yeah. the fact that you're a Marine, you probably can kill me in 20, 30 ways. Is that, is that true? Can More Marines fighter. really kill people with their bare hands, like, in 20, 30 different ways? Is that true? I um, mean, you hear it all the time. I can, I can think of 20 or 30 ways to kill you with my hands. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. I, I, mean, just got, nah, I just got a little nervous. Yeah, Marines are, I mean, we. that's why we have Marines uh, for our country is to kill a machine, uh, break things and kill people. Yeah. Okay. All yeah. right. But also to, you know, do um, 
I know a lot of other non-combatant things. You know, he just told me you can think you think of thirty ways to kill me right now. At least, at least, uh, yeah. I spent a lot of time um, <laughs> going above and beyond. <laughs> 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 uh, you know, look, if, if uh, the martial arts war is your is your livelihood, I, I think you have a certain responsibility to know how to do it and do it well. Uh, to be effective and and to, to know how to do it responsibly, That's true. Uh, and and sometimes that means uh, doing it uh, efficiently and effectively. Man, why are you so tense right now? Man, relax. Dude. I'm just letting you know. Just <laughs> just relax, man. You know. Golly, line up, line up, <laughs> line up. <laughs> let's go, let's go, let's go. All right, All right sorry about that. Sorry about that, guys. Sorry, bringing it back. Sorry, not sorry. What the, what That's up? what like all the ladies are saying now. Sorry, not sorry. Just don't you know, say you sorry. Do you know I won a state championship as a wrestler? Yeah, you told me about that. Yeah, you seen the ring? You know, I won I a state championship as a hurdler. Uh, <laughs> did you? Yes. The hundred or the two hundred? Four. You weren't a four hundred guy. I'm definitely not a four hundred <laughs> meter hurdler. Dude, four hundred hurdles is it's the hardest race. In track. It's either the 800 or the 400 yeah, hurdles. Yeah, absolutely right. Dude, people who run the 400 hurdles, holy Our cow. beast. I and was pretty good 800 runner, and uh, I would I would dive exhausted. So two of my teammates actually have the state record in the 400-meter hurdles, both boy and girl. No shit. I swear, yeah. We was like hurdle of you, like hurdle of high school, I guess. We hold a national record. Do you really? Yeah, it's called in the uh, shuttle hurdle relay. We hold the high school national record. Wait, so you have to hold a baton in that one? No, 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 no. It's a little bit different. Um, So it's you. One person go down, the other one come up. One go down, the other one come up. But you can't leave your blocks until your teammate passes a line, and then you go. Uh, but okay. if you go before the line, then you're disqualified. You ever run the the what do they call it? The steeplechase? No, they don't do it in high school. In college, they got the. I know the what the steeplechase yeah. is, but I don't do it. That's yeah. like fifteen hundred meters and above. I don't run that for. I swear, you do the laps, and then like every two laps, you got to jump off the beam. It's not. It's not every two laps. I don't know. I don't uh, know how many it is, but you got to jump over the beam. You try to clear the water, but most people don't. And it can be quite comical at times, yeah. particularly when it get towards the end of the race and your legs tired, you got lactic oh, acid yeah. build up, and you don't jump quite high as you expecting. And uh, <laughs> right, you face, plant, face, face plant <laughs> right into the water, <laughs> bud. Yeah, uh, oh, we did man. a couple of those uh, for workouts back in college. Uh, anyway. <laughs> All right, let's this Yeah, zone it back Given that we just came out of the South Carolina GOP primary and the election went overwhelmingly to Donald J. Trump, despite so many of your rants on our first five episodes, what do you think, man? Um, I what, wish, what are your thoughts on I the election people, in South Carolina? I wish people could see me shaking my head right now. It's just. I can't, I can't figure it out. I think that's pretty much any political pundit at this point. Um, and I'm not a political pundit, but I'm an observer and I follow politics. If I had to describe the, the, the shaking of your head, it's certainly more than Tourette's, uh, <laughs> less, less than epilepsy. Like it was enough to be like, oh, man, is he at like an EDM concert? Oh. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't even know what EDM is. Okay. Electronic dance. Oh, Jeez, okay. I thought I you were supposed you. to be the voice of the new generation on this podcast. I mean, 
I didn't know what it was. Sorry. I know that. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. What happened? You just dropped out, bro. No, I'm back. Okay. Um, no, but seriously, the results blew my mind. Yeah, I mean, you, you think about Rubio, and literally he had the trifecta of Governor Nikki Haley, um, Senator Tim Scott, and Represent Trey Gowdy. All who came out for him and endorsed him prior to this election. And you have to answer this question. How in the world if the three most questionably three most powerful people on the Republican side, maybe Lindsey Graham is in there, um, endorsed this guy in this state, but yet he still lost by well over double digits. Um, is he viable to be the alternative to Donald Trump, or is he that flawed? I mean, so let me, let me so, ask you this. Um, and and I'm gonna, I guess, narrow the focus of this question because uh, I do think that endorsements matter in that they provide political popular cover. Um, they provide popular prestige to say this candidate's campaign is moving along, but beyond its momentum like effect on the average citizen. Uh, do you, do you, let me just put it personally. Do you care who endorses whom? Like, do you, does it matter to you? If you're on the fence, do you think, well, I was going to vote for this person, per- but uh, this person endorsed or this newspaper wrote this. Me personally, I don't. I'm going to make my own decision. I'm going to do my homework, but that's my truth. And me personally, I don't think that's everyone's truth. Do you know anybody who's like, oh, I've been waiting to hear what Trey Gowdy thinks? No, but I know there's a lot of people who respect what Trey Gowdy thinks. Sure. I, I Count me among them. Uh, exactly. So I, I care, but not enough. I, I, I get your point. But <laughs> I mean, just from the so, optics of it, yeah. I mean, you see those four standing on stage together, you would say, well, that's Team South Carolina. Right. Um, and, you know, they tried to roll out the new face of the Republican Party. Yeah. Which, before we go any deeper, what do you feel about that? I mean, I which think... Which A... What, what is Marco Rubio? What is ethnicity? Uh, he's Cuban. Cuban, Well, he's right. American, but his but, parents right. were from He's Cuban. from Cuba, that's yeah. right. So a Cuban-American... Right. An Indian American, mm-hmm. a black American mm-hmm. standing up on stage, screaming with the face of the new Republican Party. How, how does that make you feel? Well, let me say this. Um, I recognize each of their ethnic heritages for what they are or maybe. And again, we talked about this before. I, I think African-American is nondescript, but. Uh, to the extent that I don't know that Nikki Haley's ever been to India. I don't know if Marco Rubio's ever been to Cuba. And I don't know if Tim Scott has ever been to Africa. Um, so they represent, to me, a group of Americans who all really care about this place. And to the extent that their political principles align with mine, yeah, rock on. But I also think, and this is what I think is, is important, is their, the reality of those people with those heritages, with those backgrounds, um, and the diversity they, they physically represent, um, 
runs in the face of the narrative that a, a relatively narrow segment of America wants to describe them with as, uh, by that I mean the media wants to say the Republican Party is all just stuffy old white men. And here you have uh, a group of people, and we left Trey Gowdy on that, um, who's a young gish. I don't know how old he is. I think he's probably mid-40s. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. But you've got a group of youngish people who look different from one another, who share a value system. And, and I don't think that's what uh, the media is talking about. And to the extent they represent that, uh, that excites me. It's man. powerful. I mean, you stand up there and see that. I, if I'm a Republican and I'm part of the RNC, I'm going to push that as much as I can. I don't know why you don't have videos of that out there right now showing those three with their hands waving and, and pushing that agenda. Um, because I agree with you. I think it is powerful. But on the other hand, um, I guess the rebuttal to that is be those ethnicity group learn how to fit into a white-oriented party. You know the way they yeah. Well, where are the where are the minority voices in the democratic process? I don't see any of them. That's a good point. I'm not. I'm not disagreeing uh, with you, Dave. I mean, you can say all the mean things in the world you want about Ben Carson. You know, and I won't go into them here, but but they've been said that he's just a token guy. But I don't even see the token guy on, on the, the Democrat side. side. And you know. I've had this conversation with friends before. Like, how can you go from Barack Obama, who was the first black president, to not even have a potential nominee um, for the Democrat in the black side of it? Um, it's, 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 it's an interesting topic that we may can dive a little bit more into. Yeah, let's but do I don't that. Because let me ask you, do you okay. need... Because in some ways, and I don't know that this is a, a popular... Uh, line of thought and and at least the the public discourse but do you need to have someone who looks a certain way uh to to say that your platform is legitimate no i don't think so um i absolutely don't think so um i think the point that you made just a second ago that you see three individuals who are Americans who share the same thoughts of you and they on the same base and that's what they mean to them, um, then that's important because at the end of the day, your skin color doesn't matter when it comes to do I got enough money in my bank and is this America functioning the way I want it to function? Um, So to your point, does it really matter? No, but is it something to be said to have it? Yes, particularly, I think, for black folk. I mean, we just went for, for, from, you know, hundreds of years never having anyone who could potentially even had reached the highest office. I mean, what was our best, our best chance? Jesse Jackson? Al mm-hmm. Sharpton? I mean, like, so to go from the stream of not having it to having it and not even having a potential candidate that had viability to it, um, yeah, I think it's the pause there. At one point, Ben Carson led the Republican party. I'm just saying, and I think we agree on this There's a bit of a trick. I say a Democrat gotcha party. Right. I say a Democrat it, party. Fair enough. I'm I mean, we saying had Herman Cain, he led. At nah, one point nah, nah. So, I mean, where are we going? You know, and, and, and I think that probably underscores so much of what 
you and I want the Insanity Podcast to be about, which is that it it being public discourse, uh, popular governance, that it shouldn't be about race, that it should be about uh, the content of our character, as Martin Luther King Jr. would have said. You know, that it needs to be about the substance of what's going on. And we can disagree about those things. You know, we, we don't have to disagree. Or we don't have to agree. We just have to care. Right. We don't have to agree. We just have to care. Right. And and so um, to the extent that there's some people in the Republican Party and leadership positions who look different, um, you know, that that's that's a good thing because it signals to folks, hey, it, it doesn't have to be just what you've been told that it can be about other things than just old white men who are interested in their private business. Right. And I think, again, you can't help but feel that as being the Republican party, we have heard the liberal media, just what you want to call them, say that this is a bunch of old angry white men party. And if I'm in that RNC, well, we got to do something to hedge that because we can't in 2016 be perceived as that. So do you go over beyond to find some candidates that is in line with you that you can put out on the front line to curve that when the reality of it, that most people that look like them don't necessarily think that same way. And that's a question. Well, I think what, what's so powerful about uh, what, and, and I'm not a partisan guy. Right. You know, I think I've made a lot of my my inclinations and my personal philosophies. Um, I've at least alluded. Stop to making them. disclaimers and just talk. Golly, you I disclaim know, everything. I, I You're do. such a lawyer. Golly, uh, well, it's often <laughs> nuanced. The devil's in the detail. The devil's in the details. <laughs> right. right. Uh, yeah, man. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just not such a partisan guy. Like I recognize that Barack Obama being elected, uh, as much as I don't think he was a good president, and I don't. Um, I think he got some things right, but I'm not going to say he got everything right. I'm not going to say that it's unimportant that a black man was elected. I, I recognize the gravity for what that is, and I don't think it's racist for me to say I appreciate what that represents. I just think you're wrong about a lot of things. And to the extent that, that there's, yeah. there's uh, people in the Republican Party who, who represent uh, – you know, ethnic groups or, or nationality backgrounds that have not been uh, at the forefront of the Republican Party and that we now have these people in leadership positions. I don't think that means all people who look like that should come to us. What you should think about is uh, the values and the ideas which these people represent. And, and like I said the other day, what they represent is the idea that if you have faith, uh, family, uh a sense of community and an appreciation for earned success, you'll find happiness. And that's what those folks represent. Right. And I, and I understand that um, this conversation completely done changed, but that's fine. We're going to yeah, go here because... No, no, no. No, keep it here because I think it's important. You know, I don't want to just push this to the side. Um, you know, when we did have our race conversation and we told people that we were going to have it again, and this is kind of turned into that, but it's not a full blown out one. Um, and let's let's save a full blown like let's just do like an another hour yeah I think we should let's get, you know what secret co host guest number two that's on the list let's bring him in before 
Okay. Let's do that. Let's just do that. Anyway. Okay. Right, we'll figure it out. Programming note. Telegram. Programming note. Programming note. Teaser. Now you are now being interrupted. Uh, anyway. Back to our main broadcast. But you asked me a question and you brought it up again tonight about African-Americans um, and why do we hold on to that name and why is it so important? And I gave my response, but I, I thought about it a little bit more. Um, and everything, I'm going to say everything, that's too strong of a word, um, for the most part, Anything perceived as black excellence in America has always been demonified in some type of way. Um, So when you start feeling like, you know, we're finally coming up, you're seeing people in position doing very positive things, um, but yet white folks are becoming more racially conscious in the sense of how they feel and don't have some of those racist, whether it was conscious or subconscious feelings that they once had towards black people. The response is now like we're all Americans. Like why I got to be a black and white thing. Why, why can't we not just be all Americans? And it's almost like you telling me to forget that I'm black again. Um, it's 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 a feeling inside that you're trying to dismiss my blackness because to promote blackness is to promote something that we don't want to promote as Americans. And I think that's why you see the response with saying, yes, I'm African-Americans. And if you are African-American and denounce that um, saying, then black people feel a certain way, too, because, again, it's being dismiss- dismissive of potential black excellence. Does that make sense? I think I think I'm following your your, your train of thought there, um, and yeah, it, it makes sense. Um, I, I just what what I don't fully appreciate, and I and I say that I don't appreciate it in the sense that like I haven't lived it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I haven't. It hasn't been me. Um, is that? Um, None of those historical uh, experiences belong to you in, in, you know, the legacy of black history, like the civil, the, the civil rights movement. And we might have to edit all this down because I don't know if I've got them, all my thoughts together here. But, you know, you were never a slave. You never experienced Jim Crow. You didn't go through the civil rights movement. I'm not saying you haven't been discriminated against. I'm not saying you haven't felt a disproportionate amount of police attention. I'm not saying any of those things. Uh, I'm not saying you haven't you haven't experienced the the looky loos and the starey eyes and the you know women glab- clutching their purses walking down the street that that kind of thing. I I, I recognize that that can be an especially powerful experience and, and, and probably negative. Um, if I'm honest, like to think that people would just assume that about you because your skin color, but that all being said, what I don't, I think that a lot of white people and I, maybe let me just stop trying to pretend like I'm talking for all white people. (laughs) You said a lot of white people. A lot of white people. Yeah. yeah. You know, like what, what does all that have to do with you being an African American? 
the plight of a African American to be where I'm at. The fact that I, th- I just think it's a, I think that the term what I hear you say I accept on his face. I'm not challenging any of that experience. What I what I don't get though still is the connection to the continent of Africa, which in 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 my mind is so divorced in a temporal context. Like it's so long ago. That what the hell is Africa? Do you feel that same way about Italian Americans who go and say they Italian Americans or Jews who's who's in America who claim themselves to be Jews? What I don't understand what's the difference. I guess I don't see that. I guess I don't see that. Maybe that's probably a limitation of my own experience. But I don't. um, I've got a handful of Jewish friends. I mean, I love you all, by the way. Mm -hmm. Sabbat shalom. Right. (laughs) Uh, I have Italian friends. But I don't see it in in the same and on the same scale as I see with African American. Well, I think one, it's more of us here. That's one point, and sure. then and then two, it's we have always felt that, and I say we, um, and I think it's fair enough um, that we had to prove ourselves. We had to prove our worth to be in America. When did that stop though? Or does it? It hasn't stopped. And that's the point. But at the same time, I think you see a new generation of people and saying that we don't have to um, be approved by white folk, that we're okay with our blackness. We, we, our blackness is sufficient where historically our blackness has been inefficient. I mean, if you even look at the civil rights movement, we wasn't asking for something more than white folks. We were just asking to be at the table with white folks. Um, again, just searching for that approval to be here. So when you fast forward to the point that we're at now and you say, I say that, or no, you say that, um, why do you feel such an attachment to Africa? being called african-american you know the point i made last time first we didn't necessarily give that coin to us i mean that coin term to us that was the term that you know white america gave to us to identify us um but at some point um as you start understanding the 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 legacy and the heritage and all the great things that happened in africa and that you were a slave from africa um a lot of your ancestor was for, for most most black Americans, um, that is an identification point that you can connect you to a land. Um, just like anyone else. I mean, you can connect your heritage back to somewhere else and say, you know, I was a German, um, at some point, or I was, I I was Irish. It, It connects you to something that can give you pride. It gives you a sense of belonging, a sense of understanding. And I think in the black community, more so than anything, you know, Africa's so big, and some of our problem is that we don't necessarily understand or have a sense of self, something that I can be proud of, that we're trying to overcompensate for now. Let me ask you this, and um, I certainly don't want to put any words in your mouth, but as I was, I was listening and trying to internalize everything you're saying, um, you know, so much of what being black in America has been over the last you know 240 years has been denied 
to black America. Like you, 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 even if you're from South Carolina, we, we pushed you out of all of the processes and the institutions that we typically associate with being a part of, uh, at least a political entity. So uh, what I mean is if I say, yeah, I'm from South Carolina, um, I'm a South Carolinian. Yeah. My people are South Carolina. Implicitly, I'm attaching myself to the formal institutions of that place. You know, I'm saying that that's that governance model, all of that. That's what I what represents me. Mm-hmm. Um, but for so long, we have as a society denied black folks a, a spot at the table. I don't know, though. And we're going to have to cut all this because, like, I don't know what you do with, like, Robert Smalls and um, have you ever heard? Have you ever I don't know Robert Smalls. Oh, dude, I got to show you this podcast about okay. Robert Smalls. So Robert Smalls was born a slave. He eventually bought his freedom, was re-enslaved, uh, was work. He was like loaned out. Like I, I guess you can like not loan him, but like rent your slave. Mm-hmm. I rent. My, he was rented out to the, the this guy who's running a. I don't know what you call it, a shipping barge but that was running through the channels in the low country, mm-hmm. you know, to get through all this shit. Mm-hmm. And he uh, was on this, like, Confederate ship, and then one night, like, he and some boys stole it, rolled out into the harbor, flagged down the Union, or, like, I don't know whether you send them, because he was sending, like, semaphores or, or uh, uh, Morse code. Semaphores is the flags. <laughs> That's how you communicate with <laughs> okay. Navy, Navy ships right. back in the day. Anyway, so he's like, "Yo, don't don't blow me up because yeah. I'm on an I'm on a Confederate ship." Right, right. And he gives the ship to the Union. Okay, they're like, "You're free, yeah. bro. It's cool." Um, but he eventually becomes a a congressman from South Carolina in the Reconstruction era. Okay, wow, fascinating dude, fascinating dude. Right. I'm gonna have to look at it. I don't know. Did we just blow that whole conversation? I don't know how to tie it all back together. Where did go? See, go see where we ended it. I don't know. Where are we at? I don't know what to say about this one. And that's fine, though, Micah. I know. That's fine. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to have a response to everything. Because yeah. some of it could just be simple. I didn't understand it. I yeah. do now. I see your point. Like, I do. I, I see the point. And, but I guess what I want you to understand, and, and you, second person plural, mm-hmm. <laughs> you black people, mm-hmm. y'all. Right. Um, is, is that, it's scary. I don't know. It's scary. Scary is not the right word. What, what I want you, y'all to understand is that, um, saying you're anything other than American just gives people another excuse to not connect with you. I can see that. that. That's that's. I think that's it. It's just like, but hey, I don't think that's just it. It's it may, not it may, just it. Maybe just, that's just it for Micah, but I don't think that's just it. Oh, it's not even for me. I mean, I'm yeah, you know. But uh, you know, for people who are looking, it goes back to our Ferguson conversation. For people who are looking for excuses, it's one more. It, and you know, I don't know how much. But it's not my. It goes back to that's not my problem. That's that's something for you to deal with, and but but it is if you want if if we're both committed to the idea of unity, 
Again, I'm not trying to put this on right, but it, like and it goes back to my point initially is that again we have always had to make concessions to make white folk feel more comfortable. So now that we're having a deeper conversation about the black white race uh, race issues, now the conversation saying, "Hey, stop calling yourself African American. Stop calling yourself Black American." Um, no, what are you saying? Don't call yourself black. American. Well, okay, okay, African American, and just call yourself um, American or Black American. Well, to me, that's tomato, tomato. If I say African American, Black American, it's it's I'm I'm that skin color. You can identify me with that, right? Sure. Um, but to the overall point is that why should I feel or you feel any type of way for calling myself African American? Because it goes back to the point of subconsciously or consciously um that the thought of being black and proud in america has n- has not historically been something that people wanted to promote um, white america wanted to promote and when you start talking about even looking at the plight of black people in america the stuff that we've got and i and i'm and i'm I put emphasis on saying that we got because it was given to us has either been by one protest um, from black people saying we want more rights or pressure from international um, international community saying that's not right. And if you don't change that, we're going to hold you accountable, too. I mean, just think about it in 50 years ago. You know, I got parents and grandparents who was in segregated schools i mean that's 50 50 60 years ago that's people lived it like you may say me individually but i got parents who and grandparents who did live that that oh, is yeah. still their truth my, my my dad lived in uh my my, my mother is timeless <laughs> but my dad lived in and uh was in high school during integration right you know so so the point is White America has formed a habit of forgetting. Let's, let's, let's forget how we got to this point. And once we get to the point where we're changed, that's what we want to focus on. Um, well, I don't know that it's just let's forget. It's just uh, there's a limit to what they call white guilt. Like... I didn't do that. So don't put that on me. Why should I have to feel bad about it? I want to move. On. And and I'm probably, you know, case one A of I, I've, you know, I, why should I feel bad that, that but it's not other always. white people hundred hundred years before me were giant assholes. And I, and I, and, I, and, I, and that's where I think the frustration comes on young white people who are ready to embrace a future that is inclusive in all the ways that we both want. It's the point where, like, all right, man, uh, I've got a lot to learn about white privilege, but I also can tell you that if you want me to sit around and, and like, feel bad that, uh, you know, 200 years ago some nasty shit went down, I don't know. But it's not that 200 years ago. I think that's what you're missing. 50 years ago. It's Anything not even older than, years. like, tw- 15 Fer- years Ferguson ago. Ferguson happened just a year ago. You want to talk about Ferguson? Flint, Flint, Michigan just happened freaking couple months ago. So the stuff is still going on right now. It's wait, not like these wait, are just one-off things. Wait a minute. I'm wait. I'll wait. Which I'll one, wait. Which one are you talking about first? We can you go want to talk either about way. Ferguson? We can go either way. Ferguson, 
blown wildly out of proportion uh, based on an inaccurate description of the factual scenario of what went down. And I, I don't think that is... That's still subjective. It, it's objective facts. It's No. The way you know, it went down is still subjective. Tell, you still tell have, me what part of that is justified. You still have one cop saying it went down one way, and you have... Two in a, well, one individual saying that it went down another way. It's cop versus suspect. And who knows who is correct here? You have, what, 19, 21 different witnesses, all of whom gave a different account of what went down? I mean, you asked me a couple of weeks ago, like, well, why they let the black body bleed out in the street? Well, that that is a reflection of uh, the way that the laws in Missouri operate where the coroner has to respond to the scene. When the coroner first responded to the scene, he was shot at. But, and so he couldn't – there was nobody else who's authorized to do anything with the body. What I'm suggesting is, uh, again, I think Ferguson is a terrible example for all the great things we w- do want to talk about because Ferguson became well, – it was perverted by those who wanted to do violence, who wanted to riot, who wanted to do the looting and terrible things, all in the name of uh, you know, uh, injustice perpetuated <laughs> on black people, which I think is a real phenomenon. I think the, lo- the statistics don't lie, but – Ferguson ain't your case, bro. Well, look, I'll tell you like this, and you know, you you brought up two good points. Um, Ferguson may be a bad example um, based on the conversation to try to move forward, but even to say rioting and looting, which it was, I mean, that's what happened. Um, but that many of whom, many of whom were not even from Ferguson. Ferguson. It's outside, you know, agitated. But you can look at the media and kind of blame them for that too. I got a lot of blame to lay out there. Right, right. Um, but even the notion of riding and looting, when black folks do it, no matter if it is trying to face injustice and saying that we want better condition in our police practicing um, practices, um, it is giving ride and looting whereas if you have a pumpkin festival and a bunch of white people um want to turn over cars and start fires in the route it's a rowdy bunch it's like i'm not really following that example i'm just gonna lay that out there well i get here here's your example after (laughs) this is a side story (laughs) so i was in uh denver colorado actually i was in boulder in 2000 Three when the Avalanche won the Stanley Cup. Do you know what white people do when their people win? They ride and loot. <laughs> they flip cars. Burn. I was like, we were like an hour away. I think Boulder's about an hour. Uh, been and and while. and that's the point. So yeah. you help me make my point. The characterization. Uh, that's why I'm here, brother. <laughs> the characterization <laughs> that you still get with black folks from a 250 years, whatever you want to call it, years ago, is still is prevalent. In America today, you know, you say that's not my truth. Yes, it is. It's just uh, formed a new way. It's just done morphed into a new type of uh, cultural racism in a way. And I don't like using that word in a sense of the example I'm trying to use, but I don't know how to say it any any different than that. So it's still very real to me. The effects of slavery is still very real to black Americans today. And it's and it's real. Um, but at the same time, I'm not saying that to say that we're still living in barely post 
slavery days, we have evolved a lot. We have learned a lot, but it has always been at a pace where white folk were comfortable at. Um, they were comfortable with the progression of black folk coming more into power, coming more into wealth, um, coming more into influence. Um, so we have went a long way and I'm proud of where we at, but to think that those effects that was over 400 years of literally mental slave mental and physical slavery does not still have effect um merely 50 years after desegregation um then that's that's not fair it's it's not it's not realistic um so when i tell you my feelings these come from real place it's not manifested just to say well my ancestor this no this is still something that i don't had to deal with this is something that's still real to me it's something that i have to consciously think about basically on a daily basis um so in order for us to get past it i think while we having these conversations that we're having today is to let you know how I feel about that and hear how you feel about it. So my, my story is real to me. And if I'm telling you that don't try to find um, different cases to maybe help prove your point when I'm telling you what my reality is. Does that make sense? It does. It makes complete sense. And it's one of those things that, um, you know, as, as I've outlined before, um, you know, we live in a, a world of, of he, other human beings and human beings have human reactions that are they're emotional and uh, they're difficult uh, because they're, they're not consistent and they change over time. But overwhelmingly, the trend line, I think, and what I see is headed towards positive. Absolutely. You know, uh, anytime you talk about social issues, you know, social politics, identity mm-hmm. politics, things that involve people as, as who they are, um, they take generations to change. And um, I don't really know that there's a way to speed that along. Um, I think, uh, you know, economic opportunities, one. That's the big that, one. That, that can you know, expedite it. Right. Um, but the other is, is open dialogue, particularly when that open dialogue can be done in a constructive and healthy way. And, and that's why I'm, again, Michael, I think the insanity podcast has, Michael, I got a question before we kind of wrap up off this. Yes, sir. Um, what do you do when you encounter other white people who make racist comments? It all depends. And it depends, I mean, it depends on how racist it is. It depends on, by the way, that's a loaded comment. <laughs> yeah, I'll like, let you get to that what? in a second. I'll let you get to that in a second. Uh, but I think it depends on, you know, the situation, how well I know someone, the context, like, um, I, I mean, how racist it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that, I, I I see that to mean you know what what their intent is. Mm-hmm. If it's purposefully denigrating, you know, th- there's a difference between um, inappropriate and offensive. Mm-hmm. You know, like you just went too far. Listen, right. as somebody who's told thousands of bad jokes mm-hmm. and been insensitive, right? Uh, you know, I tend to be like, well, were they just trying to be funny and it didn't work? Um. 
you know, I think in another life I'd like to be a comedian. <laughs> you know, I, I do. I, I, yeah, I think do. I would come to your show. Uh, I definitely well, would come to your show. You know, maybe one day I'll, I'll play with that. But I think comedians offer such value to, to society as contemporary sociologists. You know, they're making observations about the world and society and culture, and, and they're offering their thoughts in a way that's designed to elicit a certain kind of feedback, humor, laughter. Um, but they, uh, it's not funny if it's not true. And, and you can pick any comedian you want who's, who does that on a daily basis. So when I see jokes go wrong and and they're racist. So what what if it's I, not a joke? Like what if it's someone blatantly being racist? I mean, how do you handle that situation um, if you run across it? Um, or ha- and if you don't feel comfortable, no, no, I will. I, I will tell you that people don't do that around me. Okay, um, because I, I'm pretty confrontational about it. it even if it's just the death stare like, <laughs> like i will just look at someone like they're done the reminder sun. he told us earlier that he know at least at least 30 ways to kill me as we're talking about I, will, podcast. I mean i don't know i have a very expressive face you do. and it, it is not one that hides my thoughts right and then when when i've heard people make those comments and it's i mean damn, it's probably been a Oh, man. I couldn't tell you last time I heard it. I, I can. <laughs> Don't tell me. <laughs> yeah, I, I can. Drunk, uh, but I, I tend to look at people like they are the dumbest son of a bitch on the planet. Uh-huh. That's that's the truth. Do um, you ever feel like you should say something, though? Who just decided to death stare? Yeah, yeah. What prevents that's you tough. from that's saying something? That's what prevents tough. you from saying something? Um. Well... I never hear it out of people that I'm already close to. Right. Because people know, I mean, I like to think that people I'm around don't, don't think that way anyway. Um, but uh, I'm pretty confrontational. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that helps a lot. Yeah, I got you. Uh, and in particular, the incident I'm thinking in my head, like I didn't really know the guy. I just gave him a look and, and there was no more. Okay. Um, but well, it's tough. Well, you know, I'll tell you this. It's harder. Um, you know, it, it's easy today to do it in the black white context. Okay. Uh, you know, to, to, as far as to get people so, to adhere to norm. But when you talk about things in the, in the racial context of uh, uh, Middle Easterners, mm-hmm. um, especially, mm-hmm. or Latinos, um, uh, th- then people people feel more uh, latitude, I guess, to make those kinds of comments. Understood, understood. Well, that actually is a good segue into my final question for you. Um, why is it so taboo? And, or is it, and may correct me if I'm wrong here, um, for white community to to ask another white person either about racism or why is it difficult for the white community to address another white person when saying racist stuff? Why, why is that so difficult? Say that question again. Why is, why it- is it so taboo in the white community when other whites state something racist that to, to correct that person, to, to put them in their place and say, you know, that's unacceptable. And we're really trying to, uh, Oh, I don't think that's that. taboo. I don't think that's taboo. No, you don't think I, so. I mean, I have seen in my lifetime, and you know, I think as people have been listening to us for a while now, um, I'm I'm 34. I have seen what 
would the social expectations have done to white society? And by that, I mean, um, I grew up seeing uh, or hearing the N-word, the word Mm -hmm. used derisively, used in all the worst ways, Mm -hmm. in the worst situations. And I've seen uh, the people close to me uh, that I that I can think of who who did use those words when I was little, uh, stop that. It's changed. It's no longer okay. There's no place for that anymore. I mean, we had stories in the news from a local town, you know, down the street, uh, where the mayor had gotten recorded. You can't do that anymore. This is not 1960. This is not 1970. It's not 1980. It's not 1990. It's 2016. Like it has changed. Mm-hmm. You can't expect. There's no white person that I know of, or any area of the of the, of, of the country, where you can actively use that word and a not get your ass beaten and two. Uh, hope to assume some level of social prominence using that kind of language. I think that much has changed in white society. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, that gives me a little hope. Because, yeah. again, these are broad, systemic changes that that are uh, glacial sometimes and frustrating. But, well, uh, well but it's changing. I think, I think that's awesome, and I agree. I think there is hope in... I think that it's important to understand that the fact that you and I even have this podcast is a direct reflection of where we have come as Americans. So, I mean, you know, bringing it back to a political conversation, it frustrates me when I hear so much gloom and doom um, from the people who are looking to lead us. This is America the Great. It is the land of the free and the home of the brave. And if anything, we spitting out, we should be spitting out positive stuff. And I think in a nutshell, that's why Donald Trump has been successful. Now, he may call someone a loser, but his overall message is we're going to make America great again. We're going to make America positive again and and, and all that other stuff. Um, And I think people connect that, which... Maybe we save this for another race conversation, but even the make America great again makes me feel a certain way as a black person because I hear that. Oh, we should. Yeah, say that. Say that because I want to talk about that because it definitely makes me feel some way as a black person. Yeah, because I I really want to put that up against like what I heard out of uh, John Kasich, which is it ain't that bad here. Like we, we ain't that bad off. Like, exactly. like we've done as a country and, and we've got a lot of problems. Number right. one on my list and something I want to talk about another time is the fact we're nineteen trillion dollars in the hole. That's a big <laughs> did you see deal. my did you That's see my big tweet big. in uh Facebook status the other day? I did. I did. It's a big deal. It's, it's a big deal. It's, you know, people talk about we're gonna bankrupt this country and I'm like, wait a minute, I'm not a mathematician, but last time I checked. Nineteen trillion dollars in the hole. You 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 bankrupt. Yeah, we we got a lot of problems, and, and I look forward to talking about that. I look forward to talking about that and so much more on the Insanity Podcast. Uh, this was the this was the po- political podcast that turned into the race conversation. Yeah, yeah, it was. But uh, that's so much of what the world is. It's it's not. Uh, a single, a single dimension. Uh, we we live in a world that that has so much going on, and uh, as always, I hope the Insanity Podcast can be an opportunity for people who are looking for an outlet to hear 
uh, maybe inspirational conversations is about uh, real world and real issues and hopefully can use these as a catalyst to have their own conversation and share their own ideas. And Micah, I, I really want to make this point. Please, please, our listeners out there, we really do appreciate you. But we do want to make sure that we're touching on topics, one that's important to us, but also important to you. If you want us to expand or hear our thoughts on a certain event or do, um, you want to hear our thoughts on even more of the race conversation or if we talk about race way too much, let us know. Um, you know, we, we got iTunes. We have a website. Please let us know your responses. Insanitypodcast.com. That's where we at. Insanitypodcast.com. Or you can iTunes us. Sanitypodcast.com. And we're doing good there. So uh, we definitely want to hear your feedback. Uh, we appreciate your support. And hopefully this is meaningful for you because it is for us. And um, just a little bit of group therapy. A little group therapy for everybody. <laughs> appreciate your time. Thanks for downloading. Uh, we appreciate all your reviews and comments on iTunes. Everything you do to help us uh, share the word that conversation matters. We don't have to agree. We just have to care. Again, thanks for tuning in. We look forward to hearing you on another edition of the Insanity Podcast. Shout out to my man, T-Matt. See you next time. I'll see you. Peace out, little homies.